A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U.S.A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General General Cigar Cigar Dave. The war on men, the war on meat continues. We will get to it today. We celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. We've got a great special guest, our number two today, Jackie Zykin, the master taster at Old Forster Bourbon, joining us from Kentucky. Interesting background. She's responsible. She's the face of the brand, if you will, kind of an ambassador, but also uh, is involved with tasting with the master distiller. Make sure that Old Forster tastes the way it should. Involved in the single barrel bourbon program. We're excited to talk to her. Unique story as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. And I am looking right now at four magnificent bourbons that I will enjoy from Old Forster, including the Birthday Bourbon 2007. Can't get it anymore. Off the charts. Long-ash greetings and salutations, a long-ash snappy salute, Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure, long live the Alpha, make America great again, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, screw the enemies of plastic, screw the enemies of meat consumption. As always, your five-star global general and Alpha male-in-chief front and center from Command Center Alpha in the Cigar City, as always, make sure that you follow me on social media, go to CigarDave.com, upper right-hand corner, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Twitter, my number one preference, but we post everywhere, Twitter, at Cigar Dave Show. Send me emails, written communications, CigarDave, at CigarDave.com. The story you're about to hear is true. The names have not been changed as to not protect the guilty. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the man who loves to welcome everybody, the man who stood up when someone asked a question on behalf of all mankind, he stopped that person and said, excuse me, let, let, let me pause right there. People kind. We don't use the word mankind, people kind. Mr. Political Correctness Extraordinaire, PC number 1A in Canada. Eh? Well... Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had a little splaining to do. It seems that 19 years ago, when he was an adult, at various parties appeared in blackface. Photographs, videos have turned up from Time magazine. Here's what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, a contrite PC Justin Trudeau, had to say. This is something uh, that uh, I deeply, deeply regret. Uh, darkening your face, uh, regardless of the context or the circumstances, is always unacceptable because of the racist history of blackface. 
I should have understood that then, uh, and I never should have done it. Now, according to Mr. Political Prime Minister Correctness himself, if you darken your face sitting outside, like I like to get a little sun, a little vitamin D, just get a little color on my skin, apparently now that is taboo. But we know what he's talking about. Blackface. You don't need to be of privilege or white privilege or any sort of privilege to know as an adult that you don't do it. The only exception, I would say, is if you are impersonating such as um, Frank Caliendo, who is a great master impressionist, does a lot of sports figures, does Charles Barkley. It's terrible. It's just terrible. You're knucklehead. He appeared with Charles Barkley all cool, looking exactly like Charles Barkley. That's acceptable. But to do it in a party in that sort of form is unacceptable. You don't need to hide behind privilege to say, oh, I was privileged. I didn't understand that. I didn't realize it. Please, come on. You know better than that. Justin Trudeau, Mr. Political Correctness himself. Mr. Let's welcome everybody. Mr. We don't use the term mankind. It's people kind. Now all of a sudden, Mr. Contrite. He was an adult when he did this. He's in big trouble. Or as Charles Barkley would say, it's terrible. He's a knucklehead. Now, in the spirit of transparency, because as we know now, pictures can come out many years after the fact, pictures, videos. I must come clean. Something I did in college, and I ask that you listen to what I have to say because I want to be perfectly clear a clear and total candor total transparency something I did my freshman year in college for Halloween what I came dressed as to be perfectly candid because pictures may come out I know I have some pictures of it pictures may come out I don't know time uh, the, the Washington compost the New York slime Maybe one of the networks may come out with it. They may find it and expose me. Back in October of 1986, as a freshman at Syracuse University, Lawrence and Hall in the dormitory, we had a Halloween party. And I want to be very clear of what I came, my costume was. Again, coming clean, transparency, because pictures may come out. For that Halloween party, I came as Playboy founder Hugh Hefner. And I had two hot bunnies next to me that actually looked like Playboy bunnies. They had ample décolletage and rackage and stackage showing. They had the bunny costumes with the little cotton tail on the back, short little costumes showing their rack, showing their legs. I was dressed in a robe, I had a working pipe, I might add. You could use the pipe and smoke it back then in 1986. And I walked around with both dames on my arm, both freshmen as well. Everybody loved it. But I know there are pictures that are going to come out, could come out. I've got pictures. There could be videos. I don't know. But I want to be transparent and clean. And I also want to be very, very perfect, candid that in no way, shape, or form would I ever in a million years apologize for going as Playboy founder and publisher Hugh Hefner, the man that loved to put gorgeous dames buck naked in the magazine 
and subsequently in videos. The man who championed the beauty of the naked female body. The man who was a perfect champion of men being men and male humor. Great interviews, too. Great articles in the, in the magazine, but let's face it. Back then, I preferred much more looking at the hot dames, the pictures, than the articles. Although the articles and the interviews, exceptional in many cases, in most cases. So I'm coming clean. I dressed. I went as Hugh Hefner. I had the ascot on. I had the robe. I had the pipe. And I had two bodacious, beautiful lovely freshman co-eds, one on each arm, wearing Playboy attire. I can picture it now, and I can tell you, absolutely magnificent. They loved it. I loved it. And if the pictures come out, if it's politically incorrect, so be it. No way in hell will I ever apologize. I don't apologize for being a male. I don't apologize for being a man. I don't apologize for being an alpha male. I don't apologize for being a male that appreciates gorgeous dames. I also don't apologize for being a perfect gentleman with great manners. The war on men continues. Monday night, Washington Square Park in New York City. Elizabeth Warren makes a big speech, the war on men very apparent. We are not here today because of famous arches or famous men. In fact, we're not here because of men at all. Nice political calculation to essentially tick off, denigrate, berate 50% of the voting Americans. Very nice. No surprise. Now, she talked about the arches for a second. I thought she was doing her, her speech in front of McDonald's. Those are the really famous arches. But instead, she was in front of the famous arches that are in Washington Square Park. The arches that pay tribute specifically to, well, one man in general, and that is George Washington, a majestic 200-year-old arch where Warren set up her podium, her flag, her microphone, her campaign signage. It celebrates the founding father of the United States, George Washington, the first president. Celebrates George Washington's inauguration as the first president of the United States in 1789. Very nice. Have a campaign speech right in front of the arches to celebrate George Washington, our great first president, founder of the United States, a great general leads the revolutionary army to victory. And yet, Elizabeth Warren, in front of that arch dedicated to the great George Washington, denigrates and berates men. Hit that one more time, Sergeant Steve, please. We are not here today because of famous arches or famous men. In fact, we're not here because of men at all. So go after men. In fact, I suggest every male, whether you're a Democrat, Independent, Republican, Socialist, Communist, whatever, Elizabeth Warren doesn't like you, doesn't respect you, show the same respect. Don't vote for her or lack of respect. Losing strategy. Hillary Clinton used that strategy, talking about deplorables abusing white male privilege. Nothing could be further than the truth. White, or correction, male privilege or 
toxic masculinity as these candidates, female candidates, like to assail men in general, did a great job in the Revolutionary War, did a great job in World War I, World War II, to save America from the Nazis and Adolf Hitler and from fascism. When we look at buildings, when we look at first responders, is that toxic masculinity when they're the first to jump into a dangerous situation? The answer is no. So here we have a privileged Harvard professor who made three or four hundred grand a year at Harvard to teach, I think, one or two courses a semester, who blatantly lied using her own privilege to say she was of Native American descent. She was an American Indian, which was a load of poppycock. She used it on every job application from the time she was uh, in the workforce and used it to get a three, four hundred grand a year cushy gig as a Harvard law professor. So please, let's not talk about toxic masculinity. Let's talk about fraudulent, toxic femininity. That's exactly what Warren, Elizabeth Warren, displayed when she used the guise of being an American Indian because my Paul said that our cheekbones were high. Baloney. And going after the founding fathers, going after men who build buildings, the skyscrapers, men who were the first in flight, men who drilled for oil. Oh, I'm sorry, oil now, fossil fuel is, is evil. Even though it's amazing, all these candidates don't walk or bike anywhere. They use airplanes, and they use motorcades, and they use limos. Isn't it amazing? Again, not don't do as I say, don't do as I say, or do as I say, don't do as I do. So that's exactly what they want. Do as I say, not as I do. Elizabeth Warren going after men. Identity politics will not work, did not work in 2016, will not work in 2020, and she will tick off more men. But again, this seems to be the rationale. Let's bash men. Men are evil. Men are the root of all problems. We're not here because of men. Actually, Lizzie, you are here because of men. Because if a man didn't stup your mama that supposedly had the high cheekbones or your papa or whoever, whomever it was, you would not be here. Good luck with all females. Let's see how they'd be able to procreate without any male spermatozoa. Let's see how that works. Now, there's also an attack on meat. There's an attack on carnivores. There was a big climate change conference. Everywhere you look around, we have a climate change conference, climate change town hall. Again, we know that climate change is absolutely nothing more than a small group of bureaucrats and government officials and uh, elitists who would like to redistribute the world's wealth using climate policy. An entire generation now of children and college students is brainwashed into thinking that the weather is going to kill them. That's really what it boils down to. So at this particular town hall or climate change conference that was moderated by Ali Velshi, another piece of work, another total uh, cockamamie clown from BSNBC, he had Andrew Yang, Andrew Ying Yang on, 
And he was asked a question about beef and whether beef should be a part of our diets. Hi, I'm Addison Dyer. I'm a sophomore at Georgetown studying healthcare management. And my question was, realistically, the only way to curb expansion and reduce the environmental impact of the cattle industry is to reduce demand. Um, what policy adjustments would you make to reduce this demand? I'm glad you asked that because we wanted to talk about food and the, the rate at which agriculture, not everybody thinks about this, is a major contributor to, uh, to CO2. Now, cattle is very energy consuming and energy expensive. Uh, and if you project forward on what we would need to do to reduce emissions, you would want to modify Americans' diets over time. Now, some of that is happening naturally through education. I do think it's difficult to regulate diets. Um, so what you would want to do, again, is you'd want those uh, cattle producers to have to internalize the cost of emissions. Because if your cattle ends up um, polluting a lot, which they do just naturally, we don't hate them for it. I mean, they're just big animals. Don't hate the cattle, hate them, whatever. Uh, so then what that would naturally do, and some people are going to hate this, but it would probably make those products more expensive. Um, and that is appropriate because there's a cost to producing food in that way. Uh, and so if you were to make it more expensive, then you would end up changing consumption patterns. So what they say is we want to modify diets. How do they want to do it? By taxation. Every time you look around, one of these Dem candidates Taxation. Let's tax the wealthy. Let's tax meat eaters. Let's tax if you breathe. Let's tax if you drink water. Let's tax if you fornicate. Let's tax if you smoke a cigar. Let's tax if you drink a libation. Let's tax if you use a grill. Let's just tax, 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 tax till we run out of money and there is no more money for taxation. And I love what he says. We need to modify diets. No, what he's saying is we want to regulate diets. That's exactly what they want to do. They want to continue the indoctrination. The indoctrination that cattle, that meat, is responsible for an overwhelming majority or a huge percentage of climate change. Did you hear Ali Velshi? Oh, I'm glad we got to this because agriculture, a huge, huge part of the problem. No, it's not. No, it is not. And the United States is not a big part of the CO2 emissions problem, climate change, contributes 14% of the world total. China and India by far number one. They are doing nothing to stop it. We could stop every CO2 emission today, and it wouldn't make a difference. And amazingly, we had all these hurricanes and storms and earthquakes going back hundreds of centuries ago. Some of the worst hurricanes occurred in the early 1900s. That was before there were fossil fuels used, before there were cars, before there were trains and planes. How do you explain that? Ah, simple. It's the sun heating the earth. It happens. It is a natural occurrence. It has been going on that way for millions, or correction, as Carl Sagan would say, or Bernie Sanders, billions and billions and billions of years. Billions of years. So Andrew Yang, yes, we don't hate cattle, but we need to rein it in. And this is the, the question from this Georgetown or George Washington University sophomore. This shows that an entire generation of high school students, grade school students, college students, they're brainwashed. 
I heard one of them appearing before Congress earlier this week saying, our generation is scared. We're afraid. We're afraid to have families. We're afraid to work. We get out of bed and it's depressing. This is nothing more than indoctrination on college campuses, pure and simple. Interesting email I received from Lieutenant Darren. And he said, General, listen to your show on September 14th. And you had a great discussion on the BS of eliminating fossil fuel that the left keeps preaching. I farm for a living, have close to 2,000 acres on my farm, which is small, middle class, to try to identify the size, if you will. Basically only three square miles. I personally burn around $40,000 of fuel every year to grow crops. How is everyone in the country going to eat if farmers can't have fuel, and how will it be delivered to processors and ultimately trucked to consumers? Just food for thought. I thought you may appreciate, because last time I looked, everyone eats. May affect your libations as well, since corn is a huge ingredient in whiskey. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Just a typical Midwest conservative farmer's opinion. Lieutenant Darren, I greatly appreciate that opinion. And you are right on the money. People have to eat. Do you think if all of a sudden we say, no more meat, just go to a vegan diet, that's going to put increased pressure on farmers to grow more crops, growing more crops, more fertilizer, you're going to have more fuel. That's how it works. And what is interesting is that a study by researchers at the Johns Hopkins Center for Liberal Future came out this week that scientists found diets in which meat, fish, or dairy consumed only once a day would leave less of a footprint on climate change and water supply than a vegetarian diet including milk and eggs in 95% of countries they analyzed. Again, total nonsense, total BS that is propagated by a small group of elitists that would like to control your behavior, redistribute wealth, using climate change as a rouge, as a guide. Everybody's being brainwashed. Yet, these elitists still fly in their own private planes. They still drive in limos and burn fossil fuel. Do as I say, not as I do. The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection for September is the Placencia Almadel Combo. This complex smoke is creamy with a touch of spice. The Placencia Almadel Combo has notes of coffee and nuts while leaving a lasting impression on your palate. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. 
to Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. run on tofu alpha males run on meat steak cigars and cigar day the trifecta of pleasure the enemies of meat the enemies of carnivores are out in force we talked about andrew yang at the bs nbc climate change conference that took place uh what was it uh, Thursday and yesterday at George Georgetown University in Washington, D.C.? So basically, Andrew Yang says, yeah, we need to modify diets. We need to tax to change people's diets. We have seen every candidate come out and say, we've got to get away from meat. When asked at any of the debates, they all spew the same line. Oh, we know. We know that that meat... That cattle produces massive amounts of CO2. We need to go to vegan diets. Yet, mark my words, they'll still eat their cheeseburgers. They'll still eat their juicy steaks. But the peons, the rest of us, will still ha- will, will, they'd love to see us go to a vegan type of diet. Remember, the hypocrisy runs rampant with these elitists. Do as I say, not as I do. They'll eat the meat, but make you become a vegan. And Stephanie Rule. On BS or D, uh, uh, yeah, BS NBC, a couple of days ago, has the audacity to spew this. Republicans uh, like to paint the most ambitious plans uh, as those led by wingnuts, uh, making it look like Democrats want to take away your straws, uh, your ability to fly in an airplane, and take your cheeseburgers away. We know none of those things are actually true. Yes, they are, you dumbass. They are 100% true, you blatant liar. Dems have already stated, and they are nutcases. They've already stated, we got to get rid of straws, plastic bags, plastic straws. We're seeing it, a legislation being enacted in every state municipality now. Straws are evil. Plastic is evil. They do want to take away your cheeseburgers. I love when Kamala Harris, when asked about it, said, yeah, we really should look at that now. i got to be honest, I, I love eating my cheeseburger now and then. They always have a caveat. Bernie Sanders, look, I think we have to do it. I've got to be honest, I do like eating meat. They all preface, or they all subsequently slip that in. I do like meat. Why? So that when they enact all this harsh regulation that you've got to be a vegan or tax your meat at unconscionable rates, that it's okay for them to still eat meat. 
And the Dems do want to take away your ability to fly because they've all stated, we're going to eliminate fossil fuels in the next 10 years. By 2030, we have to have total clean renewable energy. Okay, how are you going to fly? What are you going to do? Put solar panels on an airplane? I'd love to see an Airbus A320 or 330 or a Boeing 777 or 787 with solar panels or with a windmill at the top of the uh, on the top of the fuselage not going to happen but again they'll still travel they'll still fly but you won't perfect uh, example here KLM we talked about this plane shaming now that's a new thing going on in Europe we're going to start seeing it here in the United States that people are plane shaming others for flying on airplanes because of the carbon footprint because of the contribution to climate change. Well, KLM has just announced, starting March 29th of 2020, they're replacing one of their five flights from Amsterdam to Brussels with trains operated by the French-Belgian high-rail speed company Thales. Now, it's a 20-minute flight, but it's a two-hour journey by train. I'd rather take the, uh, the plane. 20 minutes, bing, bang, boom. And people say, well, you got to get to the airport an hour before. It's, it's much faster to take the train. Most of the time, it isn't. But mark my words, that's the beginning. They'll say, we're going to replace it with one. Then it'll be two. Then it'll be three. Then you'll start to see all this plane shaming by all these climate change nutcases and wackadoodles. And all the airlines in Europe will say, okay, anything less than a 30 or 40 or 50-minute flight will replace with trains. You're going to start seeing this. So do the Dems, do these climate change wackadoodles want to take away your plastic straws? Yep. They want to take away your right to eat meat and your cheeseburgers and your juicy steaks? Yep. They want to take away the ability to travel by plane? Yep. But by the same, in the same breath, they say, by 2030, we're going to go totally to clean energy. And all these candidates saying there will be no more fossil fuel combustion engine cars on the road in 10 or 15 years. Really? Okay, let's assume, and I've stated this before, let's assume that every combustion engine is replaced, every combustion engine car is replaced with an electric vehicle. How do you power an electric vehicle? You have to charge that electric vehicle. You have to plug it into the wall and get 110 volt or 220 volt or 240 volt power. Well, how is power, when you plug a, an appliance into the wall, whether it's your refrigerator, when you recharge your phone and you put in your charger, how is that power generated? The number one method today is via coal. The second is natural gas. Then we have nuclear, hydro, and then we have wind and solar. There is not enough land to put solar panels in this country to power an entire nation that would totally be based upon an electric vehicle operation, electric vehicle um, infrastructure. Not going to happen. So all these things you hear are nothing more than lies to placate these nutcases so they can earn their vote and be as liberal and as left and as absolutely uh, extreme as possible. It is not realistic. Natural gas is clean burning. We have a ton of it. That's more realistic than 
saying we're going to go all electric vehicles. But remember, all these politicians, they will still use combustion engine vehicles and limos to transport them around. They will still use fossil fuels to power the planes that they'll travel on. But you and I need to eliminate the use of fossil fuels. So let's listen to Stephanie Rule of BS. NBC lie one more time. Take a close Republicans, listen. Republicans uh, like to paint the most ambitious plans uh, as those led by wingnuts, uh, making it look like Democrats want to take away your straws, uh, your ability to fly in an airplane and take your cheeseburgers away. We know none of those things are actually true. I rest my case. They are most certainly true, Steph- uh, true Stephanie. A complete, absolute, wackadoodle dumbass. When I tell you Stephanie Rule could be amongst the most stupid, she's probably right up there next to Don Lululemon of the, of the uh, uh, cartoon news network, of the clown news network. Two of them are peas in a pod. Dumb and dumber. Actually, dumbest and dumbest is really what it is. So yes, the wackadoodle dems are going after your plastic straws, your cheeseburgers, your steak, and the fossil fuel that powers your planes and your cars. And speaking of another ignoramus, another incredibly stupid person, member of Congress, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. By the way, I see that she's got a Democrat challenger and a pretty good Republican challenger as well. This is going to be good. I'm going to get the popcorn because I think they're going to cream her. I don't think people like her in her district. And from what I've read, She is very late to set up an office in her district, rarely makes uh, people can go and see her or go see uh, somebody in the office with their issues. Their, uh, Their number they have goes to a voicemail that doesn't get checked. Major, major problems for AOC. If she loses, geez, she's gonna go from making about 160 grand a year back to slinging drinks again. What's she gonna do? Again, she has a degree from, I think it's Boston University or BC, I can't remember, I think it's BU. Should be more like BS, because she knows nothing. Amongst the most ignorant people on the planet, at a public appearance on Wednesday, again, existential crisis, existential threat, major climate change crisis, we have to do something. Here's her latest prediction of what's gonna happen in the other cigar city, not Tampa, but Miami. So climate change, what is not realistic is not responding to the crisis on the, on the, not responding with the solution on the scale of the crisis. Because what's not realistic is Miami not existing in a few years. That's not realistic. So we need to be realistic about the problem. Yeah, let's be realistic, you, you schmuck. Let's be realistic. Miami's going to be here in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years. And do you know why I know it's going to be here? Why I know all the climate change is a massive hoax? Why it's nothing more than a de facto redistribution of the world's wealth? Why I know that grade school, high school, and college students are being brainwashed? Let's check the OCCD. That is the Obama Climate Change Doctrine. Barack Obama, 44th president of the United States, so concerned 
about rising tides and rising sea levels that he is about to close on a $15 million estate on the water, on the shores of the Atlantic Ocean, in Martha's Vineyard. Or as they say in Massachusetts, Martha's Vineyard. We're going to the, to the vineyard. So let's look at the OCCD, the Obama Climate Change Doctrine. If he is so concerned about these rapidly rising sea levels, that literally cities will be wiped off, that, that Miami Beach, because of the rising sea level, will be underwater in 10 years. He's so concerned that he's about to plop down 15 million large to buy an estate smack dab on the Atlantic Ocean. That's why I know this climate change nonsense is just that. Absolute, blatant, poppycock nonsense. Fabricated BS. End of discussion. If it's okay for Obama to live on the water, by gosh, it's okay for you and I to live on the water. Because if he's so worried about it, he wouldn't be plopping down 15 million bucks. Amazing. Leaves office, gets a big Netflix deal, gets giant speaking fees, big book deals, and yet we as American taxpayers still pay for his Secret Service detail. We pay for an office. They get office uh, stipends to pay assistance, mailing, all sorts of other nonsense. They come out leaving as multi-multi-millionaires, and yet we Americans still picking up the tab. Unacceptable. So if Obama's going to buy a place on the water, feel free to buy one too. AOC's full of baloney. Miami's going to be there in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. When I go down in 20 years to go visit the Padrones and go visit Nick Perdomo at Perdomo Cigars or Ernesto Perez Carrillo down uh, at uh, at, um, EPC Cigars, They'll all still be there. Miami will still be there. No fear. It will not be submerged. The September 2019 Officers Club selection were mailed yesterday. The Placencia Alma del Campo, a fabulous cigar. The Placencias, they are royalty in the cigar industry. Five generations of Placencias have grown cigar tobaccos. They've manufactured cigars. The Placencia Alma del Campo means soul of the country in English. So it's the soul of Nicaragua, a Nicaraguan puro with the smoothest, tastiest Nicaraguan wrapper, filler, binder, medium to full-bodied in flavor, the Alma del Campo wrapped in a luscious Colorado-colored wrapper, beautiful notes of cocoa, spice, sweetness, cedar, and coffee. If you are not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, go to CigarDave.com. $22.95 $22.95 per month gets you three fabulous cigars shipped to you in a Cigar Dave Officers Club pouch. And I will tell you, our selections have been fantastic. For August, we featured the just an incredible selection from Nova Cigars, the Nova Personal Reserve Leo X, the Nova Platinum Sultan, and the Platinum Nova Classic unbelievable cigars for October. We've got fabulous cigars coming from A.J. Fernandez. We've got the entire year planned out, and I will tell you, great cigars. If you're a cigar connoisseur with a varied palate, join the Cigar Dave Officers Club right now. Go to CigarDave.com, $22.95 per month. You join monthly, no long-term contracts. You will love 
the selection absolutely guaranteed. When we come back, we'll conduct the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. Next hour, special guest as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month, Jackie Zykin, the master taster of Old Forster bourbons. The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. <laughs> that could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Day. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. The selections in the Cigar Dave Officers Club receive rave reviews from our members. And for good reason. We send out fantastic cigars, the latest and greatest to our members, new cigars, unique cigars, incredible vertical samplers of cigars, and we have a great selection for September 2019. We are featuring the Placencia Alma del Campo. It is a beautiful Nicaraguan puro, Nicaraguan wrapper, filler and binder. The wrapper is a beautiful milk chocolatey brown wrapper with some nice notes of cocoa, cedar, some beautiful notes of coffee. Your taste buds will absolutely love the Placencia Alma del Campo. Become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get great cigars every month. Three great cigars like the Placencia Alma del Campo sent directly to you. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and join my Officers Club and enjoy great cigars. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Next hour, as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month, we'll be joined by Jackie Zykin, the master taster of Old Forster bourbons up in Kentucky. And one of the four bourbons that I will be sampling from my personal private collection that I share very, very limited, only special occasions. When President Donald Trump won the election in 2016, the next morning at 8 a.m. with a good friend, I opened the bottle of Old Forster Birthday Bourbon from 2007, poured just a little bit, maybe a half a shot in a, in a uh, whiskey snifter. We toasted the new president-elect, toasted the election, toasted that America would be made great, 
And so that is a very special bourbon. And so today for our interview with Jackie Zykin, I'm going to have a sample. I'm going to end our interview with that tasting. So I need a cigar that can stand up to it, a lot of flavor to it, a lot of citrus, some sweetness, some clove, some warmth. But I need a special cigar, a cigar that's as special as the Old Forster birthday bourbon that I will consume in the next hour. And I can think of nothing better than the Padron Family Reserve number 50. This was launched in 2014. I was at the Padron 50th anniversary party. It was September of 2014, one of the great nights I will always remember. Jose O. Padron, George Padron, Orlando Padron, the whole Padron family. Celebrated in Miami. I mean, there must have been 1,500 people there, maybe more. But cigars were flowing, libations, great time, great camaraderie, great friendships. And I love the Padron Family Reserve number 50 Maduro. It's five inches in length with a 54 ring gauge. It is square pressed. Nicaraguan wrapper filler binder. An incredible, exquisite taste profile. Medium, medium full, incredibly smooth, exceptional. It's definitely a special occasion cigar. It's not an everyday cigar. At $27, definitely not an everyday cigar. But when you do decide that you want to celebrate a special occasion, or there is some sort of, some whatever, whether it is a graduation, whether it is a baby, whether it is a promotion, whatever the case may be, you will love the Padron Family Reserve number 50. Also comes in a natural wrapper. I love the Maduro. I love the complexion, a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of the espresso notes. Can't go wrong. So I will enjoy the Padron Family Reserve number 50. I smoke these rarely because they are hard to come by. But when I do, I savor it to the last puff. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready to go. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. You can hear the giant jet flames from my Cigar Dave Malalighter. Make America Lightate again. Got it right in front of me. That's what I will use today. Cigar Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. I will toast the foot of this magnificent Padron Family Reserve number 50. Robusto in the Maduro wrapper. They come in boxes of 10. About $270 a box, $280, something like that but worth every penny. Buy a box, stick it away, use it for, uh, save it for special occasions. Let me puff and rotate. Oh yeah. Mm. Absolutely magnificent. Great draw. I love the feel of the square press in my hand. Mm. Mm. As I blow on the foot, perfectly even amber glow magnificent and it is going to pair exceptionally well with my old Forster 2007 birthday bourbon so we will spend the entire hour with Jackie Zykin master taster of old Forster she's got a very unique story very interesting story about her background initially pre-med major and found her way at going from St. Louis to Louisville 
and becoming a master taster, a brand ambassador, very, very involved in tasting, very involved in some of the blending as well. So we'll be joined by Jackie Zykin, Master Taster Old Forster, in the next hour. And I can't wait to sample all these four Old Forster bourbons that I have. Uh, I'll tell you what I want to do. Next week, there's some info I want to get to because we're going to spend the entire next hour with Jackie. But we'll talk about uh, Royal Agio was acquired by Scandinavian Tobacco Group, the parent company of General Cigar and Cigars International, Thompson Cigar, another big acquisition. They make the Balmoral Cigar. We featured the Balmoral Añejo Exo Connecticut several months ago. Beautiful cigars. So we will talk about that. Davidoff's got some new cigars coming out as well. So we got a lot of items that we will get to next week. Actually, the week after, because next week will be our complete National Bourbon Heritage Month mega tasting with Somalier Dave and Tommy Diadio from the Corona Cigar Lounge and Davidoff. Next hour. We'll be talking with Jackie Zykin, master taster of Old Forster. Stay tuned. This is AMEM, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General General Cigar Cigar Dave. I am salivating as in front of me I am looking at four magnificent, tasty, delicious Kentucky bourbons. And there's a very good reason why I have four different bottles of Old Forster. I've got the Old Forster 1870-90 proof, the Old Forster 1897-100 proof, a bottle of Old Forster single barrel given to me by Corona Cigar in the Davidoff Store and Lounge here in the Cigar City of Tampa, 90 proof. And a bottle of Old Forster birthday bourbon from 2007. 12 years old, initially distilled in the spring of 1994. I am salivating. And there's a good reason why I've got four bottles of magnificent Old Forster. Our guest this hour, as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month, Jackie Zykan, the master taster of Old Forster. And we welcome you back to the Cigar Dave Show, our number two National Bourbon Heritage Month all month. And we are excited to have a very special guest to talk bourbon, a very unique guest. She's the master taster of Old Forster, Jackie Zykan, joining us up from Kentucky. Jackie, great to have you here. And I hope I, I'm not making you salivate at all the great Old Forster bottles I have in front of me right now. You kind of are, but that's okay. It's pretty standard for just, you know, any day of the week. So it's fine. It's okay, though. I am kind of jealous. I will say I'm jealous that 2007 you've got going on over there. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal. I come up, you give me a personalized tour of the old Forrester distillery and maybe share some special bourbons that are being aged. And I'll bring up this bottle and we can enjoy a cocktail and uh, a little cheers to celebrate. Oh, well, you don't have to do that. I've got more than enough product to share with you, but you are always welcome to come up to the distillery, and I'm happy to take you on a tour. Absolutely. Oh, wait a minute. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you still have some birthday bourbon 2007 left? 
I've got quite a few of them. I've tasted every year. Um, we've done quite a few events across the country since I've been on the brand where we actually do every single vintage in a row. Um, so I have my favorites. I have my, my certain years that I prefer more than others, but it's, it's super special. Obviously you're never going to find that bottle again, unless, you know, get on the interwebs, that's fine, but, um, you're not going to find it on a shelf. So these birthday bourbons are so unique and they're so, so incredibly special that I want you to keep it, share it with people, I suppose, if you like them or not. Absolutely. Um, well, I only use this for special occasions now. So, and only usually about one, a half a shot just on special occasions because it's that good. But Jackie, <laughs> let's talk about your background really as a master taster. You have to speak bourbon fluently. That's a great language for those of us that enjoy bourbon and, and, uh, and Kentucky whiskey, but talk about uh, your background and how you got with old Forster way back. Yeah. So, um, obviously I did not grow up dreaming and doodling one day I'm going to taste bourbon. I mean, had I known that that was going to be even an option, maybe like I would have, but I did not grow up with that mentality. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. And I mean, the bourbon boom is a somewhat recent thing, you know? So back when I first left St. Louis to come to Louisville, um, we had like makers beam Turkey, and that was it. And people just called everything whiskey. You didn't say bourbon. You just call it doer's whiskey. You called Jack whiskey. You know what I mean? Like predating like the really big, big boom. So I originally was on the path to go to medical school. And so I'm sitting on this chemistry degree and a biology degree and things changed. We won't get into too, too much, but I made some, right. I don't know, some choices that I probably shouldn't have specifically getting married to someone I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> a tale we have heard often. I don't know if you thought I was going to go down this like weird vice path there, but no, it was just that. So we moved to Louisville for his job, which, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? So I end up here, really got no reason to be here other than to just like be here with him. So I started bartending again. I bartended my way through college um, just to like sort of start to know people and have something to keep myself occupied with. And behind me on these back bars are hundreds of brown bottles. And I don't know what any of this stuff is. And this is 10 years ago. And I will be the first to admit I knew very, 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 very little about whiskey when I first moved to Louisville. And it just sparked something. And I fell in love and couldn't stop. So we separated, but I stayed in Louisville because I landed a job with a really great restaurant group here called Fall City Hospitality. And they had a bunch of different concepts. And every time they would open up a new bar or restaurant, I would go and open it for them. I would design their bar layout. I would do their cocktail menu. I would do all their staff trainings, all their buying, all that stuff. So you're putting in about 92 hours a week, give or take, in a position like that. And um, brands come in. And one of the concepts was a whiskey bar. It's actually in downtown Louisville. Um, one of the first whiskey bar, whiskey bars to be down there. And... <laughs> Brands would come in because a lot of them are based here and they'd be like, oh, hey, you know, um, we've got these guests coming in. Can you kind of like make a specialty cocktail for us for our dinner? Cool. Yeah, I got you. Oh, hey, also that drink was good, but we have this event coming up. Can you go to that event and make that drink? Sure. Got you. Yeah. We have to do a new segment about that event. Can you go and do that? Yep. Totally. Totally fine. I said yes to absolutely every opportunity that came my way. I did work for Heaven Hill, for Woodford, for Jack, for Four Roses. Um, I was on part of that opening marketing team for Copper and Kings Brandy. I was the St. Germain brand ambassador. Basically, I don't sit still. Um, so yeah, one day I got a phone call. Hey, your name came up in a meeting at Brown Foreman. 
apparently they kind of need somebody for Old Forester that can both understand the science side, check, and understand the on-premise, the bar side, the cocktail side, check, check, check. So I met Campbell Brown for a drink. We had an old-fashioned. He went outside on a phone call, came back in, and was like, would you like to work with Old Forester? And I said, absolutely. There's no other brand I would have jumped ship completely from that side of the industry for because I love it so much. But this is the only brand where I wouldn't have to go in and talk to people about it and never have to make up some bull story. So, and how long ago was that, are. Jackie, when you joined uh, Old Forster? Do what? That was four years ago. Four years ago. Outstanding. Well, mm-hmm. you talked about uh, wanting to go to medical school and have a, you had a chemistry and biology background. When you think about it, as we know, bourbon is used for medicinal purposes. <laughs> So it does Our legal fit. team would frown upon me saying that to you in modern times, but yes, the origination of this fine product was for medicinal purposes. That is correct. So you've been with them four years, and tell us, as a master taster, what your job with Old Forster entails. It's a lot of different stuff. Sometimes I'm doing interviews like this. Um, right after this interview, I actually have to head to Bourbon and Beyond to MC a stage. Outside of that, half the time I'm on the road, half the time I am split between our corporate campus and our two distilleries in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Sensory analysis, descriptive analysis, things like that, quality control. When you come up with a new product, what's it going to be? What's the price going to be? What's the proof going to be? What's it going to taste like? Who's going to write the tasting notes? What's the signature cocktail that's going to go with it? What glassware are we going to use? All of that falls under me. Um, So kind of like just responsible for ensuring that Old Forester stays quality, consistent, and that we're really, you know, we're staying true to who we are as a brand. It's really, really important. It's easy to get lost in trends, especially with a category growing as quickly as bourbon is. It's really important to have sort of this like true north of what your brand is and have people that are unapologetically sticking to it. Jackie's I'm a very unapologetic person. <laughs> Jack, there you exactly. Jackie Zykan, master taster, old Forster, joins us. Jackie, you are unique in that there's really not a plethora of women that are uh, tasters and that are really in the bourbon whiskey business. Um, there are a lot of women in the really? bourbon whiskey business. You just don't ever see them. Uh, we yeah, never see them exactly. I mean, but it's it, towards the front of the house, if you will. How's that? Towards the front of the house. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I guess it's a minority still. It's um, still in a lot of markets viewed as a very masculine product. So it is what it is. But I don't know. I guess I am very, very fortunate for the fact that I work for a company that on a daily basis doesn't make me feel like I'm a woman in the whiskey industry. I'm just in the whiskey industry. Right. So it's a little bit different. I have this conversation with people constantly about like, what's oh, what's it like? What's it like to be a, a woman in whiskey? I, I don't know, like, I, what's it like to be you? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't feel it. But let me say this, though. That doesn't mean that I'm not appreciative of the efforts of those that I had to deal with probably a whole lot of before me. I've got it really, really, really good. I have a dream job with a dream company and a dream brand. And I don't, on a normal day-to-day basis, really feel any differently about what gender I am walking into this category. But yes, back to your original statement after that tangent I just went on. Um, yeah, there's not a lot that you see, but I mean, I don't know. It, that's, it is what it is, I guess. Well, you know, I think you brought, bring up a very good point, and I've always said this. People make a big deal. I'm the first this or the first that, whatever. I think most people, <laughs> if you do your job well, nobody cares. Nobody cares no, if exactly. you're a woman. Nobody cares Thank if you're you. a minority. You know, people, 
ultimately, and I always believe this, the job should be based on one thing and one thing only, merit. If you earn it, nobody cares what color your skin, what religion, what your gender, nobody cares. I think sometimes today we make too big of a a deal about those things. Uh, It is certainly unique in that uh, you are in in what you're right, was a traditionally male-dominated industry, but as you say... I think not only are there more women in the industry, there are more bourbon, female bourbon drinkers today and just bourbon drinkers in general, no matter, like we said, what's your gender, what's your religion, what's your age. Bourbon and brown spirits have had a very, very rapid explosion over the last 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, and it's great. It really is a category that's opening up and those, I, I hate to call them outdated mindsets, but kind of the purist mentality is starting to fade away and it's starting to become a more approachable category where it's, that was one of the things that kept a lot of people from trying bourbon in the first place is the pressure of, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? If you add something to it, then you've destroyed it. But it takes people that, you know, are a little bit more welcoming. Like at Old Forcer, for example, we're very much like however you drink it is the way you drink it or don't drink it. We don't care. That's cool, too. But in our opinion, you're not ruining anything by making an old fashioned out of it. You've just made your old fashioned that much better with a better quality base spirit. You know what I'm saying? So it's just a different mentality. I will say there was a big shift that it's not that women haven't always had a place in production or in a lot of the different aspects that touch these brands, but they didn't have a super strong voice in the marketing departments and they're starting to more and more. And that is why you're starting to see more appeal to things because otherwise you go way back, you go back 50, 60s and you've got a lot of brands being marketed from the viewpoint of specific individuals assuming what other individuals want but it's more authentic and it's more genuine now and i think that's really creating a more organic growth for the category absolutely and we've got a picture that we have posted at cigardave.com and our social media feeds of you sitting on a bar looking very comfortable right at home <laughs> Uh, in the old forester looks as though one of the tasting rooms and you've got a glass uh, of the clearly room the yes. F, there you go and uh, i've got to tell you A lot of people would be envious sitting there with all that great bourbon behind you, and it looks as though you have mixed some sort of libation with either lemons or citrus. And I think one of the things, I enjoy bourbon neat. Sometimes I'll get like a pre-prohibition ice block or ice cube that I like to put in my my snifter or my whiskey glass. But I think what's very cool today is presentation. There's so many new cocktails, different... uh, um, libations that people can enjoy with bourbon. And as you said, there's no right, there's no wrong. It's like cigars. It's what you enjoy. It's personal preference. Completely. 100% right about that. And there's no reason to be snobby. We see so many people saying, oh, I'm a purist. You can't do this. You can't do that. Look, to me, I like my bourbon the way it comes out of the barrel, not with any any sort of... Uh, uh, cinnamon or any citrus or anything like that but there are people that do and it's good for the brand and good for the business in general because that means they're making more aged great whiskey so it is good for everybody jackie zycan master taster of old forster our guest here as we celebrate national bourbon heritage month jackie let's talk about old forster it's a historic brand it is the first bourbon whiskey to be bottled in the united states it is the first brand to be sold exclusively in a sealed glass bottle. That is accurate. There's a really fine reason for this, too. So back in the late 1800s, 
looking at a landscape of quote unquote whiskey that really wasn't following any legal parameters. If it was brown and had a bite, you call it whiskey and move on with yourself. And if you got some, you got a prescription or wandered in, you actually take your own vessel, your own jug or what have you and get it filled up from a barrel. That's cool and all, but there's a problem with that is that every single barrel, whether you've done anything to it or not, is going to be different and unique. So consistency is an issue. And also you can't see inside that barrel and you can refill barrels pretty easily with whatever you want. Like I said, as long as it was brown and had a bite. So you're refilling it with tobacco spit and iodine and all kinds of crazy stuff and calling it whiskey. And so you've got doctors across the country prescribing this quote unquote medicine and patients are getting sicker and they're complaining. And you know, it's it's very much the wild, wild west of the whiskey world um, in the United States. So a guy by the name of George Garvin Brown is a pharmaceutical salesman, not a distiller, very transparent about that. And he sees this opportunity to actually improve the market because of all of these issues that I just talked about. So how are you going to solve the two main problems, quality and consistency? Well, for consistency's sake, you're going to have to blend. So he actually produced the first blended bourbon whiskey not blended as in blended whiskey we think of today, where you're adding grain neutral spirit or anything of that sort. Blended as in blend of different distilleries. So we blended from three different distilleries, Melwood, Mattingly, and Atherton. There's that Atherton. That room is named after that right. distillery, actually. So um, so you're going to blend it. But then, obviously, with a blend, you can't sell it in a barrel. And you got an issue with that anyway. So if you seal it in glass, and this is predating glass molds. So this is a very expensive adventure. If you seal it and put a strip over the top, sign it, guarantee the quality, you've made some really big steps. And so that's actually what Old Forester was founded on was all of that right there of just making a quality and consistent product in a world of really, really nasty swill on the market. Interesting. Now, when you look at Old Forester also, uh, very interesting because to me, it's a classic brand. It's one of those brands that Sometimes people forget about, but about three years ago, Old Forster went through a rebranding, repackaging, where the <laughs> bottles now really stand out on the uh, on the shelves. And I believe Old Forster has benefited uh, market share and certainly sales wise from that uh, with that whole program. Absolutely. So the whiskey industry is tricky, right? You don't know where it's going to go. It could happen quickly. It could turn left. It could turn right, but you've already laid down product that you can't necessarily harvest out right away. Um, so you make your best choices that you can, but we did as a brand, you have to be able to step outside of yourself and look at the landscape you've set and go, okay, what could we do better? Like sometimes it's really hard to see the forest from the trees once you are in it. And so with the packaging, you'll notice that old package that we did discontinue about three years ago. And you can still find bottles floating around different markets here and there. But there wasn't a paper label to it. So it was printed on the glass. It was on a clear label. Anytime that liquid level drops below the brand name, you can't read the bottle. Right. There would be times when I would go into bars and be like, do they have Old Forester? I don't Oh, Wait, 10 minutes later. Oh, I found it. It's that bottle back there which is great. You want people to drink it, but then there's this weird halting point once they got three quarters through that bottle where you couldn't read the brand name. So yeah, we had to uh, make some changes there and we changed the bottle up a little bit and uh, just did a little refresh. The brand is growing double digit growth and it's not stopping anytime soon. And it was worth the investment to just kind of bring Old Forster into a modern phase. Now, let's talk about the mash bill of Old Forster. It tends to be a little bit higher on rye. 
So you've got 72% corn, 18% rye, 10% malted barley. So talk about that and how that impacts the taste, the flavor of the bourbon. Sure. So you're right. It's a little bit higher than a traditional mash bill. In my mind, I always think of traditional mash bill being like your Heaven Hill mash bills, um, where you are really corn dominant, but rye is just kind of like a nice little seasoning. With the amount of rye that we have, I don't necessarily put us into a high rye category. I save that space for things like Four Roses, Old Granddad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the amount we have actually does a very, very, very good job of creating this nice spice backbone to the whiskey. So Old Forester is this characteristic flavor profile, sweet on the front, spicy on the finish, and actually a little bit dry, Um we achieve a little bit of a different end result because of our warehousing situation that a lot of people don't realize. So that mash bill is pretty solid. It gives us a little extra oomph in the spice category, but um, 72% corn is still nothing to, you know, to wave off. I mean, it's still going to give you a pretty like rich, robust, full body, a lot of texture and a lot of sweetness, but it balances out pretty well. Well, and when, you know, it's interesting because I think most people, when they, they gravitate towards a bourbon. There's a certain characteristic they like. They may like a little bit of the spiciness, a little bit of the warmth. They may mm-hmm. like a little bit of the sweetness as it goes down, a little bit of the woodiness. And what my impression of Old Forster, it's got a little bit of sizzle, a little bit of spice, and you definitely get the notes from the barrel. Oh, absolutely. So, and a lot of that, again, is due to our warehousing. So we do what is called heat-cycled warehousing. This is not climate-controlled warehousing. Um, that actually takes place at OFD, but that juice isn't mature yet. So we'll talk about that in like three years at our next interview. But now, now what is OFD? <laughs> Old Forester Distillery down on Main Street. Sorry. Got it. Okay. Uh, in Jackie Land, there's OFD and BFD. So Old Forester Distillery is on Main Street on Whiskey Row. That's the new one. And BFD is down in Shively, which is a couple miles south of downtown Louisville. That is where all the mature Old Forester in a bottle today has actually been produced. Okay. Um, so down at BFD in those warehouses, they're heat cycled. So from about October, depending on how warm October is, um, through to about April, we go through cycles. We've got temperature probes on all of the odd numbered floors in the warehouse, floors 1357 of an eight floor warehouse. There's a concrete slab every two floors too. So you've actually created these four nice little cells in your warehouse. They're made of brick and concrete. They're not open air. We don't get that top floor whiskey gets super, super hot effect. For us, we actually get more the outside barrels by the windows do more variants than the ones tucked away in the shadows in the center aisles. So from October to April, we turn the heat on, raise the temperature X amount, turn the heat off, let it drop. And we go through that up and down cycle all through the winter. Um, It's basically the equivalent if I gave you a cup of hot water and just threw a tea bag in it and didn't touch it. Eventually, you're going to have tea, but if you sat there and dunked it, you're going to get there a little bit quicker. So we're speeding up that extraction that is going to yield a little bit more dryness, a little bit more tannin, and definitely a lot more oak influence for the age of the whiskey. We're celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month with Jackie Zycan, master taster of Old Forster. When we return, we'll start the taste test. The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection for September is the Placencia Almadel Combo. This complex smoke is creamy with a touch of spice. The Placencia Almadel Combo has notes of coffee and nuts while leaving a lasting impression on your palate. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club. 
1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. How long I've been on? When you're drinking, when you're drinking, the show looks good to you. The great Dean Martin, and I'll tell you, he would be jealous of the four bottles of Old Forster I have in front of me, and we're rejoined by Jackie Zykan, the master taster of Old Forster, as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month, and thrilled to have Jackie on. Now, Jackie, let's talk about the lineup of Old Forster, and as I mentioned, I've got a bottle of Old Forster 1870-90 proof, the Old Forster 1897-100 proof, a bottle of the Old Forster single barrel, which is 90 proof, and we'll get into the specifics on that, and a bottle of the Old Forster birthday bourbon 2007. So let's start off with the old Forster 1870-90 proof. Would that be correct if I said that's kind of your bread and butter of the uh, of the old Forster line? Is that your flagship? Um, hmm. I think it definitely represents a historical flagship for the brand. But as far as being a workhorse, our everyday 86 proof and 100 proof really kind of serve that purpose better. The 1870 was the beginning of this Whiskey Row series coming out. The whole point of that series being we can showcase a more premium side of Old Forester and at the same time help tell our story leading up to the opening of the new distillery on Whiskey Row. So the 1870, in my mind, the way it works, I always think of as being sort of the Goldilocks expression. It's perfect. It's not too strong for those who are getting into bourbon and are fresh to the category. It's not disappointing for those that are well-seasoned bourbon drinkers. It's just flagship Olfo flavor profile. Definitely. Well, I'm... I'm getting some wonderful notes of citrus, some fruit, almost a little clove as well. I will say cheers, and I will take my first sip here. Mm. Definitely some pepper sizzle on the back of the throat. Some warmth. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely getting a little bit of cinnamon, some sweetness with a little spice. It's very nice. Now, for some people that like a milder bourbon, this may be a little too much. But one of the things I recommend, put a little branch or water in it, and you can basically adjust it to, to suit your own palate. Absolutely. With any and all of them, yes. 
But I will say that this old forester, um, outside of the 86 proof, this is the lightest bodied old forester that we have because of that heat cycled warehousing. You're, you're adding on an extra six months of maturation per year of age statement. So you do end up with a pretty robust flavor profile. So the old forester 86, that is what you would consider your flagship of the old forester line? That is the workhorse for sure. That's our highest volume mover for sure. Um, That's not where the brand started. Uh, The 86 proof expression was actually introduced in the 50s after the introduction of blended whiskeys really exploded in a post-war era. So you have a lot of distilleries that were laying down barrels that then converted over distillation efforts for industrial grade alcohol instead. And so, of course, how are you going to spread your inventory? You're going to add grain neutral spirit once you can fire your stills up again. And voila, hence is born something that kind of changed the idea of what whiskey was. Highball culture starts booming, a little bit more cocktail culture starts booming, and it no longer is this diesel fuel cowboy juice. So we didn't release a blended whiskey with grain neutral spirit in it, but we did release the youngest old forester expression that we could, which is four years old, and that is the 86 proof. It's meant to be light and bright and crisp. This 1870, and, though, that you got going on is a little bit of a different story. There's a little bit more body to that one, for sure. N- no doubt about it. But that old Forrester 86, I see won the 2019 San Francisco Spirits Competition gold medal. Pretty good. It's a pretty solid whiskey. I mean, we try. We try. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So next from the, uh, the 1870, what would you say is your next, uh, or after the 86, what's your next biggest mover, your bi- biggest seller? The 100 proof every day does really, really well, but you know, I'm not going to lie. Like the whiskey row series is really starting to gain some traction. At first, I think it was a confusing concept for people because it was like, we've had old Forster and it's always been known as this like really great bang for your buck brand. And then all of a sudden you got this expensive old foe and no one really understood it. So we put out the 1897 next and they were kind of like, wait, now you have two expensive ones and they taste completely different. I don't get it. But that 1920 came out changed the entire entire scene for us then it was a flight then it was a set then it was a billboard on a back bar right so um everything changed 1920 still kills it kills it okay so before we talk about 1920 let's go to 1897 since i have a bottle in my hand and by the way i'm going to call my my good pal dan o'connor over at breakthrough beverage and make sure that i get a bottle of that 1920 very rapidly so let me this is a brand new bottle that uh, Dan graciously gave me about a year ago, and I'm going to open it up. All right, and I'm going to pour a little bit here in my Glencairn snifter. So this is the Old Forster 1897. Now on this, it's interesting. I'm not getting as much of the citrus. I'm getting more of a woody type of uh, aroma, almost a, a again, a... a a little maple in, in my estimation. Again, everybody's palate, everybody's nose is a little bit different, but I will say cheers. Now, this is very different than the 1870. Not as, to me, not as sharp, not as spicy, not as much sizzle. And what's interesting, this is a higher proof. This is 100 proof compared to the 1870, which is a 90 proof. That is very interesting because I actually find the 1897 to be the most black pepper forward of the entire family. Uh, Before we had a rye, it was definitely the one that if you were a rye drinker, this was the one I would suggest for you. It makes a phenomenal Manhattan, if that's your jam. Um, But yeah, it's it's got a lot more uh, dimension to it than the 1870. I will definitely give it that. There's a little bit more dark fruit that starts to come through at this stage. 
the higher proof, um, we always balance that out. We, you're never going to find an old forester that quote unquote drinks hot. We've been in the game long enough where we know how to balance out age with proof concentration. So it's fine. But 1897 bottled and bond. I mean, that's a, that's a massive year for the spirits industry. It's a massive year for old forester. That was the first time that we switched over from being a 90 proof product to being a hundred proof. And we've had a hundred proof available ever since then. Consistent. Very nice. Now, when you say bottled hot, define that Mm -hmm. term. Drinks hot. Um, When you go to drink whiskey or anything else, any sort of spirit, and it just, it's not spice so much. It's just heat and it's an ethanol hot. So you can graphically represent it if you really want to be a nerd about it. The longer you spend in the barrel, in a traditional setting, traditional barrel, traditional warehouse, traditional whatever, not talking like tiny barrels or wood chips in your barrel. No, just like standard barrel. You let it sit there. The longer you sit there, the longer you are going to be evaporating. So you're going to get more headspace. That headspace is going to lead to a little bit more oxidative reactions going on. It's going to smooth everything out a little bit. You are going to increase alcohol concentration depending on your maturation environment. So in a standard standard setting, and I'm not saying this is for everything. This is like a very like weird like slice of an example. So nobody get all upset about it, but you are going to need eventually to balance out a higher proof to be able to hold on to all of the things you've pulled and extracted out of that barrel over a long period of time. If you take a two-year-old whiskey and bottle it at 100 proof, it's going to taste like ethanol. If you take a 10-year-old whiskey and bottle it at 100 proof, it's going to taste like well-rounded whiskey. So drinking hot in the way that I use this term anyway is, is just an explanation for something being too young for the proof point that it's at. Gotcha. But I will tell you that this 100 proof is very smooth. It is not hot in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Very tasty. I mean, to me, and it's interesting, everybody's palate is different. So that's why I always tell people, if you're not sure, just go to a a lounge, go to a bar, and do a vertical tasting. Say, look, give me the old Forester 1870, give me the 1897, give me the 1910. Sometimes that's just the best way, just by doing a tasting flight, of determining what you prefer. Completely. You're exactly right. And you bring up something that's so crucial that I think a lot of people, um, it's not that they don't realize it. It's just when you go to order whiskey, and let's be honest, some of the whiskeys on the shelf anymore can have a nice little price tag to them. Good whiskey doesn't have to be expensive. But when you're ordering anything at a bar, like it can add up quickly if you go to try like six different things, right? Never taste something by itself, ever. Always have something to compare it to because right. that's how you learn which one has more dill to it, which one has more toasted marshmallow, blah, blah, blah. You just go in rogue. You're just swimming in an ocean. You can't see land anywhere. It's, I don't even taste things singular. I always taste something side by side with well, something have, else as a reference point. You Right. You have no reference points, so you may as well do a tasting. And what's interesting is instead of going out and buying a bottle of everything, Sometimes Mm -hmm. it could be expensive, but think about this. If you have usually five bottle or five different samples of a shot of everything, figure let's say it costs you $40, $50. Now all of a sudden you know exactly what you gravitate towards. You don't have to buy a bottle where you say, oh, you know what? I bought that bottle. It was $40, $50, $60. Now I don't like it. Now you know exactly what you like. So it's really a good reference point. Jackie Zykan, Master Taster, Old Forster. When we come back for our final and concluding segment, as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month, we will conduct the tasting of my Old Forster single barrel from Corona Cigar, the Old Forster 2007 birthday bourbon. And then we'll talk about some of the other bourbons in the Old Forster line, the 1910, the 1920, their rye whiskey, as we continue right around the corner. 
Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Apple, Android, and Kindle devices. You can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. Hi, I'm Rocky Patel. After 15 years of hard work, I'd like to introduce you to the Rocky Patel 15th anniversary cigar made at our factory in Esteli, Nicaragua. This cigar showcases a beautiful, oily Habano wrapper from Ecuador. Fillers from Esteli, Jalapa, and Condega make up a rich, complex, spicy taste with a lot of full flavor. The Decade, another one of our masterpieces. Made in Honduras, beautiful Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper with secret fillers. It received a 95 rating, one of the highest rated cigars ever in Cigar Aficionado. This medium to full bodied cigar is rich, complex, yet elegant and well balanced. 15 years ago, they thought we'd never make it in the business. 10 years ago, they thought we'd never last. Five years ago, they started paying attention. Now, we're right where we belong, in your hand. So enjoy the 15th anniversary and the decade these cigars will deliver. The selections in the Cigar Dave Officers Club receive rave reviews from our members. And for good reason. We send out fantastic cigars, the latest and greatest to our members, new cigars, unique cigars, incredible vertical samplers of cigars, and we have a great selection for September 2019. We are featuring the Placencia Alma del Campo. It is a beautiful Nicaraguan puro, Nicaraguan wrapper, filler, and binder. The wrapper is a beautiful milk chocolatey brown wrapper with some nice notes of cocoa, cedar, some beautiful notes of coffee. Your taste buds will absolutely love the Placencia Alma del Campo. Become a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get great cigars every month. Three great cigars like the Placencia Alma del Campo sent directly to you. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and join my Officers Club and enjoy great cigars. Enough to get me high And then I'll say Final segment, we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. Next week, a big, gigantic tasting with Samadier Dave and Tommy Diadio of the Davidoff Store and Lounge and Corona Cigar. Jackie Zykan, master taster of Old Forster, our guest, Old Forster, the first bottled bourbon in America. Great history behind the brand. Jackie, let's talk about the Old Forster 1910 and 1920. Yes, delicious expressions. These are the, uh, the most recent releases for that whole lineup of Whiskey Row. Um, the 1910 is actually the only expression we have that has a secondary finishing to it. So it goes into a, a barrel that's been charred to the point of near disintegration for seven to nine months. And then it's bottled at 93 proof. It's got It's like liquid Nutella had a baby with wild turkey. It's amazing. Um, it's got this nice charry note to it, but it's I wouldn't call it smoky, but there's definitely a hint of char a lot of nice chocolate tones. So that actually just re-released. We ran out. We sold out an entire year supply in three weeks, and we just now got stock back up. So 
go out and find it. Um, it shouldn't run out again, but if it does, don't hold it against us. You people just drink too much. <laughs> so, now, so is that a limited release then every year? It's not. No, we just didn't figure out the demand. I mean, we based our numbers off of 1920, which has been killing it. Um, right. So we thought we were in a safe place. And then we go to release it and literally three weeks gone. Totally gone. gone. It's so good. Wow. Now, let's talk about the 1920 higher mm. proof 115. So probably not for the amateur bourbon drinker. It isn't, but I think it's a nice entry into higher proof whiskey, to be honest. So it's actually um, deceptively smooth for being 115 proof. And the reason for that proof point is that back in 1920s, Old Forester actually was sold during Prohibition um, throughout its entirety under Kentucky permit number three to sell medicinal whiskey. So um, there's that aspect. But it. It's interesting. Like if you would have gotten nineteen or whiskey in nineteen twenty, it would have been bottled and bonds. So that's a hundred proof. We already did a bottled and bonds, so like we don't really need to release another one, do we? So what are we going to do differently? That was our barrel strength in nineteen twenty. So this is meant to be a quote unquote vintage barrel strength. If you could get the good stuff from someone on the inside, straight from the barrel, this is what you would have gotten. So it's the most minimally filtered old forester available so far, um, and uh, it's exquisite, absolutely exquisite. How does it differ from the nineteen ten? Well, the 1910 goes through that secondary finishing, right? And right. it's only 93 proof. Flavor-wise, the 1920, obviously, it's got a little bit more warmth to it. It's got a lot of oak influence, and it's got a lot of dark fruit. So if you like those raisiny port kind of flavors, those sherry notes that come through on bourbon from time to time, this is definitely the one for you. It waters back nicely. It dilutes very nicely and in a balanced fashion. Some high-proof whiskeys, I will give this out, um, on the market. You water them back, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I know why they put it in a bottle that high-proof, because all the defects are hidden in high-proof, and they right. start coming out, and that is not the case with 1920. It's a very solid journey, start to finish. I will get my hands on the 1910 and 1920 for sure. Let's talk about the Old Forster rye whiskey. Uh, it's got a 65% rye content, 20% malted barley, 15% corn. And when we think about rye, we think about more of a peppery, uh, richer flavor, a little sizzle on the palate. Tell mm -hmm. us about the complexion of the Old Forster 100 proof rye. Yep. So with that 20% malted barley in there, you're actually going to get a little bit more balance of fruit notes and floral notes and not so much just that savory rye and spice. Um, so it does balance out well. It is bottled at 100 proof, and it's priced line price with the 100 proof everyday bourbon. So it is it is a steal for the quality of whiskey that you are getting, hands down. But it, it's it's unlike other ryes on the market. I think a lot of people are really familiar with the quote unquote Indiana style rye, 9500 rye. Um, that is not this at all. Um, those are very flat lined, very monotone, very much just rye. Right, dill just pickle. Like, right, is what I always think right, of it. Right, Pi uh, just yeah. a lot of pepper sizzle. This is a little yeah. more complex. Yeah, this has a lot of complexity. All right, now let's talk about the Old Forster single barrel because I know you oversee the single barrel program where people mm -hmm. or entities can come up by their own barrel. Uh, our good friends over at Corona Cigar and the Davidoff Store and Lounge in the Cigar City of Tampa, they uh, every year do probably about six barrels of different. Uh, from different distillers and back I think uh, about a year or so ago they did a an old Forster single barrel with you and Tommy Diadio who is the uh, 
Senior Vice Executive Vice President of Spirits Procurement of Corona Cigar in Davidoff gave me a taste of it, and he said, here, take the bottle. And there's about three-quarters of the bottle left. It is from Warehouse G, floor number two. And when I tell you, you know, when you think of a single barrel, you think, okay, there's going to be a lot of heat. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of flavor, a lot of sizzle. It's probably going to be very rich. When I tell you this single barrel is ultra smooth and ultra tasty, that is an understatement. It is spectacular. Yeah, uh, the single barrel program. I mean, we've been rolling with that one since 2013, give or take. Um, we've we've done a lot to improve the program, but yeah, we like to keep a diversity. So that particular bottling is phenomenal. I mean, everyone is phenomenal. They're just all very different because not everybody likes a spicy whiskey. Not everyone likes a sweet whiskey. So we keep a nice a uh, nice little mix, but. G Warehouse is one of my favorite warehouses um, down in Shively. G and H, those are my personal preference spots. So I'm really excited you got to drink whiskey from G House because that's so great. Now, why um, do you like G is, and H better than the – why is that your favorite? Um, They've yielded more consistent barrels that are more conducive to my personal palate preference. Um, I don't do the big, giant, spiced tobacco bombs. I prefer right. something that it's a little bit more um, sweet, aromatic forward personally uh so i don't know h5 is if you ever find single barrels from h5 that is my mm, that is my spot um so yeah but we do i don't know 30 to 40 across the country a year we've actually just started doing them in the uk and um it's a fantastic process you know it's a true single barrel and they're like snowflakes they're all completely different and you're never going to be able to fully replicate it ever again and you personally select the barrels so anybody coming up they would deal with you and this single barrel from warehouse g floor two for corona cigar i will tell you that i would call it a combination of sweet and spicy a little bit of sweetness a little bit of spicy definite some clove definite little bit of a maple type of a flavor with a little bit of warmth but it's very complex very very nice and now i know why tommy said there's a big run for people that just want a straight shot of the old Forster single barrel uh, that that you selected with them. It's great. Yes. Mm. Okay, now we have to move into probably one of the best expressions of bourbon, not only by Old Forster but of any distiller in the country. The Old Forster birthday bourbon. Tell me about the history of birthday bourbon. Sure. So. We started that expression back in 2002. Um, it is a vintage dated bourbon. And what does that even mean with bourbon? It's one day's production. Whatever you end up with at the end of its maturity cycle is going to be what you get. With B-Day, we get maybe about 10 to 15% yield out of those barrels. So you get a really, really highly concentrated flavor profile. Now, the whole story behind it, though, is that George Garvin Brown's birthday is September 2nd. So obviously, we release it in honor of George's birthday, hence the birthday bourbon. Um, it's fantastic. Every year is different, which is the best part about it. And it's sort of a nice little surprise every year of what it's going to be. But, uh, this year's, I think, um, that is the highest proof we've ever done. It's 105 proof this year. It just made sense though. We taste it from 86 proof, 87, 88, 89, 90, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every single proof point up to barrel strength, which is about 160. And we find the sweet spot where it sings its best song. So 105 was a was the one we landed on and actually agreed upon this year. We don't always agree. <laughs> There's now, always a big the, fight about it. But Now, the Old Forester 2019 Birthday Bourbon uh, is being released, I believe, is, or has been released right about now? Mm-hmm. That's that right. Was, it's out. 
Right, and that was distilled on May 15, 2008, on the second floor of Warehouse I. And you and Master Distiller Chris Morris selected proof this year's limited edition, so I can't wait to get that. Now, I'm going to taste the Old Forster birthday bourbon that was distilled in the spring of 94, bottled in 2007. Let me take a quick taste. Oh, wow. Citrus, maple, a little bit of orange. Just perfect. I've got to savor this and save it for a long, long time because when it's gone, it's gone. Jackie, we have enjoyed having you on the show today talking about Old Forster. We hope to have you on again. Thank you so much for spending time with us as we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month. Thank you so, so much. It has been so much fun. Fantastic. Jackie's I can. Master Taster, Old Forster. Cigar Dave the General saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio always pleasure. Long live the Alpha and may your bourbon always be smooth and tasty. <laughs>